Welcome to the Intentional Growth Podcast, the show that teaches you how to grow the value of a company with an end in mind. Host Ryan Tansom interviews top business leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who share their experience and expertise about buying, growing, and selling companies. Welcome back to the Intentional Growth Podcast. This is episode 245. I'm Ryan Tansom, your host, and we are going to be talking about customer profitability today. Whether you directly service customers with products or provide only services, your clients cost you money. That's what the whole point of cost of goods is and gross profit. However, the question is, how much money are you wasting on inefficiencies within your customer base? If you don't understand your customer profit curve or how to reduce your margin leakage, then you're going to be pumped to dive into the tactical show we have for you today. Our guest today's name is David Asson, and he is a customer profitability savant. I mean, he knows more about how to slice and dice data to find the true profitability of your customer base more than anybody I've ever come across. David has spent decades as a CFO and interim CFO for privately held companies as well as private equity-backed companies. When David was the CFO of the two PE-backed companies, he helped increase the revenue two times and the EBITDA three times in seven years for one of them, as well as increase the revenue 3x and EBITDA 4x in five years. So David is looking at a company and the customers like a portfolio of risk in how to optimize for the most profitable customers and what that means to the value of the company. We're going to cover a lot of metrics to give you an arsenal of tools to approach cutting your customer costs while better servicing your key accounts. Learn from specific case examples like the table story where we learn 20% of your customers drive more than 150% of your profits and the discount story where David walks us through the real impact of harmless customer discounts. This episode is a bit more on the tactical side, but the real-world examples drive the essential points home so anyone from a C-suite executive to a three-time founder will appreciate how these metrics help impact your bottom line, increase your EBITDA, and increase the value of your company. Make sure you got a pen and paper because there's going to be a lot of gold nuggets in this episode. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this interview with David. Sponsored by Arcona's Intentional Growth Digital Course. Ryan Tansom and Pat Hobby show you how to shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on strategies that create long-term value, giving you the freedom and choices to take control of the future destiny of your business. Accelerate your knowledge with 36 videos and dozens of exercises that combine decades of experience buying, growing, and selling companies. Learn more by going to arcona.io or visiting the show notes. Good morning, David. How are you? Hey, Ryan. Doing well. How about yourself? Doing good. I'm excited to have this conversation. Um, a little bit backdropping for the listeners. You and I got to know each other in 2020 in the mix of all the craziness. And you were giving me a backdrop on your background, where you've been, what you've done. And then you started diving into this uh, profitability per customer and the background that you've got on it, you've got a whole great story and framework about how to describe really how to get into the nuts and bolts of this. And so I'm excited for the listeners, David, because it's going to be super actionable of like how to view their customers. So before we dive into the meat of this, why don't you just kind of give everybody a little bit of your background? How did you get to the point where you actually can now articulate what you're about to dive into? 
Sure. Well, I have a unique background skill set in that when I was 23, I was in a CFO role for a $50 million global company. And so that's a story unto itself. But I remember looking differently at customers and their profitability from the very beginning. And so that continued for the next 10 years as I was uh, you know, building best practices in the finance and accounting area. And then in the, in, in the late 90s, uh, so it was a while ago at, at this company called Northern, Met, excuse me, yeah, Northern Metals uh, is where I created what we're going to talk about here. And so I, I, I developed that. I went to a class for a week, uh, read a couple books, brought in a consultant, and that was like the first iteration that, that started me on this journey. And I'm excited just to, so for some context for the listeners, when you and I started talking, we went like way into macroeconomics, monetary policy, and then we started diving into some of your background. And that was fun when we were chatting, you were talking about increasing EBITDA by percentage points and what that does to multiples. So like, just for the listeners, you've been like, you've been thinking about businesses from the lens of value creation for a long time. Yes. And, and, and like your listeners, uh, I, I was a CFO for two PE-backed companies. And so they are, as you know, very focused on <laughs> valuation, the same sort of language that that you share with your uh, you know, with your folks. And so it, it really gets you thinking about what are the, the biggest opportunities to drive profitable growth and my expression of reducing margin leakage. That's really the theme the theme of today, things that aren't visible uh, to your listeners that we can maybe get them on the path uh, to, to look at that. So let's talk about market margin leakage and then customers. So like if you're, you know, if you, when you were at one of these PE back companies, or if you're just looking at a business and you're trying to really understand what moves the needle for EBITDA, multiple growth, how did you land on customers? And then we can jump right into the, the kind of the story and outline you've got. Sure. Well, I mean, think of it's really an external view to customers, to markets, to segments, to channels, rather than what most companies do is look internally to products that that they make or services that they deliver. And so think of a business as a portfolio of its customers, a collection of its customers. It's really that simple. It's breaking the business up into smaller pieces, in this case, uh, by customer. So my my opening story for this, I remember talking to a, a company similar in size to, uh, uh, to your listeners um, and with the owner and the CEO and then the senior team. And the, the purpose of this meeting was to take their top 20 customers, which was about 80% of their business, and just make a list, rank them from best to worst based upon EBITDA percentage, profit percentage, cash flow. Um, and so they all made their own lists. And as you can imagine, the lists varied a lot from people in the same company. So some would go by gross margin percentage. Some would go by intuition. Someone would go by, by tribal knowledge that they had. So the lists were very different. So that's number one. Number two is that when we got a consolidated um, sort of average view of their top 20 customers, then if we fast forward until we have this customer profitability framework, 
And now we compare their list to the actual list. What, what, what happened, and, it, and it's pretty consistent across my experience, is that for about 20% of their customers um, that they thought were solidly profitable were in fact losing money. And you may think, well, that's impossible, all these smart people. Well, no, it's counterintuitive because, again, it's, this information isn't visible typically to companies. And so if you take that one company, they had 20 customers, so 20% of those 20 customers. For four customers, they thought they were driving the profit business for the company. But in fact, when you look at the customer profit curve uh, in the handout online, they would be to the far right um, losing money. And so when you look at all customers, not just the top 80%, on average, 30% of those are losing money. And so and, do you know- and just, for, just for clarification, David, you're talking about losing money for the business owner, right? Not, not necessarily that that co- company's losing money, but like the, they're, yeah, losing, yeah. they're not the profitable. Owner, yeah, their, their EBITDA is negative. So, so they are draining- they're reducing the valuation of, of the owner's company, mm-hmm. of your listener's company. Okay. So, I mean, do you know which ones? And, and that's the question. And when you look at that customer profit curve, what you'll see is a lot of variation from best to worst. On the one that was posted, it's actual data. It's got a, you know, almost a 35 point gap. Can you, can you describe it for the listeners that are just listening in? They can go to the show notes and see it, but why don't you just kind of give a, like a visual description of what it looks like? Yeah. So, so this company would be about a 7% EBITDA company in total, let's say. And their most profitable customer when you go through the analysis was 22%. Next one was 19. Next one was nine. Their, their biggest losing customer was negative 13%. So that 22% positive to negative 12%, that's a 35-point spread, maybe three times higher than most of business owners would guess because they would look at their spread and gross margin, service margins, et cetera. And so when you look at that graph, because it's so disproportionate, you don't get a flat curve, which means all customers are about even. You get this steep from from most profitable to unprofitable. I was gonna say, so, so what so happened? For, I was just gonna say so for the listeners, if you think over to the left of the graph, you have highly profitable customers, and then as you go to the right, the the, the line yep. goes way down, and then you're losing money on those companies that are on the right. Yep. And so because the the gap is so large from top to bottom. What happens in companies, especially those that are more complex, is that the top 20%, the most profitable, when you, when you reconfigure it like the graph will show, the top 20% could be driving 150 to 200% of the company's EBITDA. So it's really, I mean, that's a key, a key eye-opener. And you're saying, um, and you're saying I, that, David, because... They're essentially overcompensating for all the unprofitable ones. That's why they're over a hundred percent of EBITDA because yep. they're just making yep. sure that they're funding, <laughs> subsidizing all the unprofitable customers. Yeah, and and, it, and it's a we'll get into how you know how companies can know which ones are which. A couple of examples for that, but th- the point here is that it's not 
10% difference. You know, it's it's 100%. It's 200%. We're talking about big, big opportunities to grab back margin leakage. So imagine, if your listeners could imagine, to make a, a metaphor that your company is like a ship on the ocean. And it's deep in the water. It's dragging through the water. And you're a 8% EBITDA company, just to give an example, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And so you're okay. The owner goes, yeah, we're, we're okay. We're plowing along. Well, in actuality, you're really a 10% company dragging an anchor of 2% on average for unprofitable customers, inefficient processes, other margin leakage. So when your listeners can cut that anchor, all of a sudden now the business is going to go from 8 to uh, to 10% EBITDA. So, you know, it, it applies to all companies, but what happens in companies that are more complex so complexity, think of it as more balls in the air to manage, you know, more product and service platforms, more locations, more channels, more demanding customers, more custom work, things like that, that, that will cause that profit curve to, to have more variation uh, between customers. And that's how I define complexity is profit variation by customer. I was going to say, so, and, and I don't know where, as we're going into this, we're going to talk about how does someone figure this out? Because, you know, the listeners might have varying degrees of someone that might be tracking EBITDA. Some of them might not. Maybe they're just looking at net income. So somehow they got to get to the point where they're going, what is in front of me? And then how do we get that data? Yep. And it's, you know, I'll give some tips. Okay. But it's really important. To, to, to think about how customers really demand costs because all the assumptions that companies have are, are, are peanut butter. They're, they're really assuming um, averages. So for instance, if you have manufacturers who, who, are, who are listening today and they look at the ERP system, so that's programmed to assign indirect manufacturing costs, burden, overhead, based upon certain assumptions. One might be uh, direct labor hour, okay? One might be machine time. So if you have a customer that uses twice as much direct labor, it'll get twice as much of that pool. And that makes no sense, okay? When you go out into a, a plant, you'll have customers that have a lot, a high number of orders, okay? Orders are what set up time, are what drives that indirect cost. And so they're not reflecting that at all. So you need to rethink how how you're assigning these costs because normally it ends up being based upon averages and for complex businesses averages are misleading you expand on that a little bit more because I, I i agree with you but i want the listeners to hear why you said that yeah so so if if you think of if you have a business that has a, a cost category and it's three percent of revenue supplies something well if that cost is pretty consistent across all customers, 3%, 3.1, 3.3. It doesn't really matter how you assign those costs. You can take all those costs, put them in a big bucket, and assign them peanut butter based upon revenue, based upon a number of orders, based upon a metric like that. And that will be you know, close enough because those costs don't vary. But I can walk into any one of your listeners' um, facilities and talk to people and know right away 
these are the customers that are not not demanding 10% more of those costs, but twice as much because they're harder to deal with. It takes longer to do their setups. It takes longer to make their changes. And so if the overall dollars are relatively small, it doesn't matter. If the, you know, the amount of variation is small, it doesn't matter. We're really focusing on where the large customers, the large cost categories, uh, and where, where, where an owner thinks the cost varies the most. That's where we want to focus on. Super helpful. So, yeah, so I mentioned uh, external. So here's an example of, of a company on how they're able to reduce warranty claims, so a quality-related metric, by 100 basis points, which is one percentage point of revenue, which is a gigantic home run for <laughs> any of your listeners, right? And so... Can you explain um, why it's a gigantic? Because like, I know you live and breathe the uh, basis points and the EBITDA, but like, just just yeah. do some basic math on like one percent of revenue. Sure. What does that mean to EBITDA and value? Well, well, I remember seeing some of your average data. Is it true that the average EBITDA percentage is around five percentage points, or is that not? Yeah, I think it depends on the buckets in the size of companies from the Census Bureau or the U.S. Okay. Census Bureau. But, but 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 if they're a five percent revenue company that's 20 percent of ebitda on one project that's why it's so large i mean it's always going to be the largest but in companies that fine-tune it the process of improvement gets better and better and better you're improving it those basis point which is 100 basis points is one percent of revenue it's just a a, a metric uh, mm-hmm. that's used you get down to 50 basis points 10 basis points the good news for your listeners are, if they haven't looked at these items before, their initial gains typically are much larger because the inefficiency, it's like that anchor. They're dragging it. They they don't really know it. And they haven't looked at quality before, just like this company I'm going to share with you. So this wasn't even on their radar screen, warranty claims, reducing quality. It wasn't something the company was thinking about until until we kind of re-looked at this issue. And so they didn't even know how much free stuff they're giving away. So that's the warranty claim piece. Turned out to be 1.8% of revenue, okay? Didn't really know if that was big or small. It was buried in cost of sales. It was buried in a bigger bucket. And so now you do all the data analytics, especially by customer, and you find out how that 1.8 varies by customer, by product within customer. And so this was a kitchen cabinet business. And when they, what, they, what we found is that when they had light uh, grain wood species like oak and a light stain, their warranty claims, the customer warranty claims, instead of being that 1.8% average, it was approaching 20%, oh, wow. which is impossible. But it's because you, know, you really focus on the things that are driving that, and then you understand, you know, how that's different. And so, you know, when the big strategy change for this company, once they're able to take it from 1.8% to 0.8% in five months, and then fast forward a couple of years, they were down to 0.6%, which was best in the industry. So that's a great path. But but they thought, like many of uh, 
our listeners that they were in the business of making stuff, of making a kitchen cabinet. Yeah. When in fact, the customers were buying a kitchen, a collection of 20 cabinets. So how that kitchen looked, how that dark stain wood would look, it would stand out in this in this regular kitchen. So it really changed their mindset to walk in the customer's uh, shoes. So can I, I want to take a pause for a second. And cause I think if you can just maybe give a couple comments on, you're talking about data analytics and I after over the last few years, David is like the P and L is the best place to run analytics from. If you got your chart of account set up correctly. So maybe to speak to like, you know, maybe some challenges or like how you're using the income statement to be able to like pull this uh, this information out and why you wouldn't be able to find this information if it's not set up correctly? Sure. And, and, and of other examples, I'll share some had more sophisticated analytics like this one company we're talking about that may not be, they may not track all their warranties. They may not do it by product. They may not do it by plant. They may not do it that way. And so if they don't, you don't have visibility. But mm-hmm. usually, again, when you when you create an order, all that information exists. So it's not going. This information isn't going to be part of the PL in total. Some of it will. I'll give some examples later where where it's more PL okay. based, um, because otherwise you have to go do samples, mm-hmm. take take orders and do samples. But it just goes to show you for, for those that have you know ERP systems that are tracking orders, it's going into that data and then sifting it out uh, by customer. So, you know, my my view, my lesson learned from that is that your, your listeners are leaving a lot of money on the table. It, and so this approach helps them to know who winning and losing customers are, where margin is leaking. And really two percentage points is, you know, one to three percentage points is my experience, but two percentage points is a good, uh, is a good number uh, overall. The one single project we talked about was one percentage point. So it just gives you, you know, back background for that. So think of here's another example that's pretty common: pricing discounts, pricing concessions. Ninety to ninety-nine percent of our listeners, you know, I'm, I'm I'm generalizing, but from my experience, when they give out a price concession, it's based upon revenue, right? The largest customers are the ones that get these larger price discounts because they bring in more business. And I go, no, that that's not the way we want to look at it. We want to be able to look at it by EBITDA, by profit. So again, when your listeners see that, that graphic, and I'll describe it here, a company where the, one, the largest revenue customer that we're talking about, and it was thought to be solidly profitable. And so it was part of the 20%. They were unprofitable. In fact, they were the third biggest losing customer. So it was completely opposite. And what was driving that loss, 50% of it came from these pricing discounts. So the company had gross margin with, with the big swing from top to bottom. Because they were giving discounts based upon overall revenue dollars, as it turns out, as your listeners can imagine, the their customers were buying the the, the low end products. So that's why it, it drove those losses. And so we sat down with the customer, 
reconfigured their pricing incentive program, took dollars away to zero on the low-end product, but doubled the rate on the high-end product. And they were a dealer. They had the ability on the showroom to sell up to their customers. Their, mm-hmm. their customers loved those options. And so within six months, uh, on a run rate basis, so going forward basis, their loss was cut in half by making one change. And so it really focuses on thinking about getting an ROI on pricing discounts. You want to give them to those customers that are your most profitable, certainly not the ones that are unprofitable. So David, I want to maybe kind of add a little story here from my own experiences. I remember when we were, you know, turning the business around about a decade ago and like in the copier world, you have all these big high machines and then, you know, all the different brands. And then you go all the way down from like, you know, the big print production all the way down to a desktop. And what happened was we had like bad habits in the industry of like focusing on, you know, product segments and the profitability of product segments or division and didn't really extract it into a customer and the lifetime value of the customer. Very typical in software space. But like what I found is like, you know, we'd have like sales reps and or like a technician driving like three hours to fix a, you know, low cost printer that would be 120 bucks. And you're like, we'll never make money off of that segment. But when you look at it, it was like Valspar or some big global company that was our customer where the whole customer base was profitable. That was just part of it. So maybe kind of and then we did the exact same thing where we looked at all these customers. You couldn't do it by the you know, business unit. You had to do it by the customers. And so you, if you're focused on the wrong things, mm-hmm. it's, it's really um, distracting, I think. Yeah, and so in customers, it, it's, it's not the hardest to get to. It's just, it's just that's the that's holy grail of metrics, measuring EBITDA percentage by customer. When you have that, that really is is what I consider to be the, the best barometer as to how we're doing from a customer standpoint. So within a customer, to your point, you could have multiple plants that service them, multiple installation groups, multiple teams are doing it this way. So mm-hmm. it's like a portfolio of costs mm-hmm. that these customers demand. And so in that case, if it, it makes good sense. In fact, the warranty example I gave you before one of their strategies was to do more of getting installation crews back out there because the customer thought it was defective where it was just installed wrong. Oh yeah. Okay. So you would save thousands of dollars just from, from that. So you look at from the overall customer standpoint, uh, that to me is always going to be uh, the best measure. And again, the bigger dollars, smaller things doesn't really matter. We're not looking to be precise here. We just want to be directionally correct. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. So there's a picture. And it's one of my favorites to illustrate businesses like our listeners, especially who have more complex operations. So it, it, it's called the S-curve and it just dis- describes how complex um, custom costs tend to vary by customer. So it's in the same format as the customer profit curve, best to worst, or actually this one is worst to best, and it measures customers along the horizontal curve. So mm-hmm. in a company, any company, when you have custom-related costs, engineering, design, you know those sorts of costs, you, you measure that. And so in this case, 
it, this company was about 5% of revenue in this category. Payroll-related costs is what it is primarily. Okay? So thinking about by customer, they go, well, it's not all the same for every customer, 5%. But let's say it varies without knowing the data. Back to your point, without mm-hmm. knowing the customer data. Let's say it varies 20%. That's a pretty big number from, from, from worst to best. So that would make that average. And when you see the S-curve, you'll see a solid line from 6% to 4%. Mm-hmm. And companies may assume that and go, okay, that seems to make sense to us, right? We're thinking about this differently. It isn't just 5%. We're looking at how it varies. So now when you measure actual costs, tracking time, doing studies, things like that, what you'll find out is about 70% of your customers, largest customers, are going to be close to those assumptions. That's in the middle of the graph. It's pretty close. By 5%, it's it's not four, maybe three and a half. It's not six, maybe five and a half. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good, okay? The problem comes in at the tails, okay? So on the tail to the left, which is the most, the highest custom cost by customer, what you'll see is that number is not 5%. It's not 10% higher than 5%. It's two or three times higher. It's 15%. It's it's 10%. It's 15% for this maybe handful of customers, right? So that's where margin is leaking in that group. And, on and the, the far well, right... Well, keep going. And then I wanna, I'll no, save my thought. Keep going. Yeah. So on the far right, which are the customers that use the least amount of those costs, instead of 5%, they're 2%. Okay. These are the customers that are your most profitable. They're easy to do business with. Take, for example, you have to make a change to a design, a CAD drawing, mm-hmm. something something like that. It takes the customers to the right 20 minutes, let's say, to make that change. The customers to the left, it takes them three days because you're going back and forth. You don't understand them. They're tough to do business with. They're always asking for these things. And you assume customers are the same. But this shows you how dramatically different they are. Now, if that 5% number was 10% of that, 0.5%, maybe it doesn't matter so much. But when you have bigger cost categories with custom-type customers, this is what happened. So I took this picture into the COO of this business. They're a 20-some million-dollar business. And explained what was on them. I mean, he knew we were doing the study. But mm-hmm. showed him the picture, and he said, his first thing he said was, on the left, the customers that are not 5%, they're, 50, they're 10%. He says, we're not getting paid for this stuff, are we? <laughs> I go, nope, right? And so after an hour of going through it, he made changes that day. Talk about actionable, you mentioned before. Yeah. To I mean, you can't always increase pricing on customers. I get that. You can't do that now. But he knew there were some targeted ways he could increase in prices. Otherwise, he could reassign those resources. Why should he have more engineers, more designers working on these customers when they're essentially unprofitable? So it really, when you can focus on the things that matter, the people in the middle, the 70%, you know, doesn't really matter. We just want to focus on these six customers. Well, then you can be very intentional with how you handle those too, because I think, you know, some of the things that have to be in in line before you even do this, you can't have the 
panicked. I need revenue. I'm using this for float and paying bills. Cause like, you're never going to be able to get out of this. You have to be able to like, I remember just even David, like in our old industry, I mean, everybody wanted the sports teams, right? We'll put our logo all over everything. And the whole industry knows you lose your ass on all these companies because that you're getting a big bidding yep. war and it's a huge ego slap. So you can have your logo all over the boards, but no one makes any money off of them. So you got to no, get rid of that ego. Right. So, <laughs> so if you go back to the litmus test, the customer profit curve, that's what guides us. That's the compass that guides us. So if you want to do the logo thing to these customers on the left-hand side, which are more profitable, amen, amen. You just don't do it to the ones to the right, because you're going to make the loss worse. So it's really <laughs> uh, understanding, you know, th- that bigger picture and, and and not going on tribal knowledge that our, our listeners, salespeople have uh, when they're thinking, okay, I know these customers are this, I know this because I've worked in the industry for 20 years. Well, this, this information is invisible to them. So, so how, how do they know? And and when you have custom work, again, they would think, oh, it's 10% worse, it's 20% higher. No, it's three times. So, I mean, in, in, in this and, and this applies so, for anything uh, in like manufacturing or SaaS businesses or it's, like, you it's know, customer, any, it's, it's any, any, custom, any custom work. You have a designer, you have a service business where you build by the um, fixed price. Let's right. say you're an engineering company, you, you're a... Uh, a CPA firm, it could be anything, and that and that you're billing out in your fixed price these assumptions. You assume that your unbillable time, whatever your margin leakage items, are going to be the same across all clients or customers. The reality is they're not. Look at them. Uh, you know, law firms use this approach. Large law firms. So you'd think, how you know, how would that relate? Well, I just explained to you how. I mean, if they're not billing by the hour. They have all this time that gets sucked out on on in, on just demanding customers that that yeah. aren't being priced accordingly. So um, that's a good conversation. You know, and I was going to say like uh, another great lens that I think going back to your comment about averages, David, is you know you're talking about that averages are misleading, right? And the averages versus the median which is just an interesting way. And I heard this story on a podcast, I don't know, got about a year ago. He's like, we have to get rid of this averages discussion because if you have the average net worth, let's say you have four people in a bar and the average net worth is all a hundred grand and Bill Gates walks in, the average net worth is now 500 million or whatever. I mean, you're right uh, with all, I mean, you know, most of us understand the distinction, but you want to do it visually, like the profit customer profit curve, like the um, the S curve, so people, all your frontline people, get it at a glance. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if I take the customer profit curve and I have to frontline people, you know, call center people, you know, quality people, any any category, frontline people who are interfacing with with a clients and customers all the time, and I take the customer profit curve. And I take 20 seconds to explain what's on it. Here's how the percentages, here's this. Here's what they say, as you can imagine. What are we doing to fix these unprofitable customers? Question mark. How can we get more of these customers that are most profitable, right? 
that's that's the power of context. So people get it at a glance. That's why we want to do it. So, I mean, the whole median thing, you know, maybe to fine tune it, but just let's just understand what I just mentioned uh, kind of from an overall standpoint and think of that. Uh, think of it from that perspective. So, so here's helpful. another example. Yeah, keep going. Another common one, skew reduction. You know, too many items. We're selling too many products or too many services. We've added on over the years, and we're going, gosh, how how are those performing? So this this is an example of a company that sold through catalog platforms kind of like online, they had a bunch of products within each catalog. And that cumulative uh, stock keeping unit, SKU, were up over 60,000 from a <laughs> lifetime of stuff, oh right? And they think it, it's a picture of it. They aren't going to make it until someone orders it. And so, you know, they, they're not thinking. They're not thinking this way, right? So as we went through it, their customers were catalog platform, okay? So it's it's different. It's a consumer business, but different that way, but still the same. They broke their business up as a portfolio of, of catalogs. And so now you look at the catalogs and the products within catalogs, look at their revenue, look at their profit, look at other metrics, and, and it behaves much like the S-curve in that you have a, a number of products that you sell a lot of that's driving the business. Then the other tail are the ones that you rarely sell and you got a lot of them, okay? And so what they were able to do out of 13, 15 catalogs of product ser- service platforms, product platforms, they cut two of them in their entirety and then reduced the other items. So in total, they had 25% less SKUs. Now, that's a really big number. You would mm-hmm. think, oh gosh, Business is going to suffer. No, business stayed flat. Okay. Think of it how hard it is for our listeners, for our listeners' customers to buy from them when there's too many choices, right? Uh You ever go to a fast food place and they got the menu board and it's got like, you know, three big panels. And if you don't go there a lot, you go, well, that's a lot of choices, but, you know, I don't know where my order might be, right? And so, okay, so that's great. But what happened to the company because their SKUs went down that much? Their overall complexity dropped. All the handoffs, all the costs to build up catalogs, to do this, to do that, 80 basis points, another really big number from that exercise, from one project, right? And so, well, and, you know, and, you, you don't... Let me, let me shed, shed some lenses. Like when you say 80 basis points, again, just to make sure that we all understand oh. the impact. If it's a million-dollar EBITDA business... That's almost one percent, and then you multiply that by the multiple, and that's real value right there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yep, yep. And so that's a really big number. If it was ten basis points, that's nice. That's nice. But eight times that is is a big number. And again, your listeners, their initial projects when they're successful, well, they'll have more larger ones than they'll have later. But it just shows you that the company had no. They were owned by a, a $2 billion company. So sophisticated processing, they were a business within that, right? So different than your listeners, but the size of the business was, was similar. And so it wasn't on their radar screen. They had a sophisticated strategic planning process on what their goals were on 20 goals, which is way too much. 
<laughs> None of them said we need to reduce complexity. None of them said we need to reduce skew count. None of them said these things. And so it, it gives you, it gives your owners, you know, a way, uh, a framework to kind of think, okay, what might be our skew example? What might be our uh, a warranty claim example? I can see that just from being in a company. I, 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 I mm-hmm. you can see where very where items might vary. Um, What's interesting, so Dave, is it, because like when you're going back to your a company is a portfolio of customers. I mean, if you really just think about it. And when you roll it all up, just to use that example, when if anybody's got a portfolio in the retirement, it's a bunch of ETFs in different categories. The whole mm-hmm. pie chart has to hit an internal rate of return. But if you have a huge third of it that is dragging the entire portfolio down, it's the same, mm-hmm. it's the same exact stuff. Yeah, it, it, it's the same exact story. And again, that anchor is two percentage points. It's a big, it's a big number, especially if you're... If your listeners' average EBITDAs are lower, that two percentage point is, is 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 a big percentage of that number. And so, if you just have one project they can they can think about and address, um, they could have pretty significant ROI on that. So that's a skew story. So here's one back to custom. Uh, your listeners who have ERP systems um, will recognize if they have a configurator, a product configurator, which allows them to customers to make choices. So when you buy a car, you pick one of three engines. Okay, great. You pick one of four tires. You pick one of these chassis. It's that way of, of building rather than having a unique item for all these variations. So it, it, it makes more transparent the pricing and the costing side. So this company was in digital uh, content. So so they're going to be, we're going to talk about a um, packaging cost. You know, just an example, pretty typical example you think would be pretty small. And so in the past, they would just give it the the most custom pricing and price it at the lowest level. Right, it's just like counterintuitive, and so what we did is we broke it into three categories: uh, more custom, which is if their customer wants it on their retail shelf to go a certain way, it's all set to go, let's say, and and something in between, and then something more bulk. Okay, so you give our our listeners customers that option. How do you want it? And then here's the price for each, and then they'll make their choice. Each of them is set up. To, to reflect, it's going to be profitable, right? We're not going to assume something and let the customers decide. And they were surprised by how many of them said, no, bulk is fine. That that cost is too high for custom, right? And so things like that. For any of those of, of your customers that have those sort of like manufacturers, again, because they have a lot of options, but it works the same for service businesses. Well, to, I think, think on about, that, okay. On that, on that note, I think it's, insanely important because for, for service-based businesses and service, I mean, SaaS companies who have a customer service support center or anything like the, you have to track time. You're not going to get any of this data unless you're tracking the time of your people. Yep. And it's just like, it's amazing how many times we walk in, David, and people aren't doing that, which you're never going to get the visibility. Yeah, well, so so it, 
It's so true. So another company that was in medical and defense space and the CEO, his baby was the defense R&D up and coming prospects, right? So when we're talking about tracking time, like you mentioned, I said to him, well, it'd be great if you, Mr. CEO, Ms. CEO, would track your time, estimate it for these you know, six customers, and then all other we can just put in a bucket. And he goes, okay. Now, I've never had a CEO <laughs> do that, but he's paid the most. But if you want it to be accurate, it doesn't need to be for all of it. And he did it easily because he wanted to know, mm-hmm. you know, these these products take a lot of resources and they're making a big bet. And so how do we get better on this handful of R&D projects? Imagine on the customer profit curve, they had 20 customers they tracked, but then they had separately 10 R&D pro- projects, pre-revenue. So the same idea, mm-hmm. the same trying to identify winning projects, right? They had a really big NASA project that took off and it just carried the company because of having this sort of mindset. But you're absolutely right. Most of these costs are time. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of coming up with an easier way to, for certain people to track their time. You don't need to track the time for the accountants. Okay. The people who don't work on customers that much, you can put them all into one bucket. That category doesn't really matter. But the ones that do vary, yes, track time or to have some way to, to better estimate uh, that time. So that's, um, so here's the story on hit rate, what I call hit rate, which is increasing the percentages of quotes that you convert to orders. Okay. So for this company, again, custom, but very manual front end, a lot of designers, drafters, engineers to spend time on this order. And then it goes to someone else. So then they do it again, right? I'm going, you guys, this is killing us, right? And so we looked at to say back to the customer profit curve on the left, what makes our most successful customers so profitable? Why are they easy to do business with? What does that look like? How can we identify when we talk to a new customer, a new project, where they might fit in? And so with that sort of framework, not measuring customer profit percentages necessarily, but more from a strategic overview using a whiteboard and saying, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? That they increase their hit rate, their close rate from 17% to 33%. So almost double. Mm-hmm. You know, gigantic savings and freeing up capacity for that business just by being smarter, just by, you know, calibrating certain things, just by looking at which are easy customers, which are hard customers. Why are we making changes for this customer, 17 of them, and over here, five of them? You know, we're, it, it's the same sort of product. Why is it so different, right? And so you start understanding you know, customers, they're not, they're, they're not the same. We all think they're the same, but they are very different for all kinds of reasons. And so just to think of that is going to help our listeners. Well, and two examples from my, my personal experiences, 
one from our corner right now, like we had people that wanted CFO services without going through the training last year. And we were doing that. And then there's a total nightmare because the owner doesn't know what they want and why they don't know where they want to spend their money. They don't know what they're marching towards. Mm -hmm. And so like, we realize that like the people that go through the training are amazing to work with great relationship. I mean, Mm -hmm. just totally different separate story. The managed IT industry is more sophisticated than most industries that I've come across as far as like tracking value and understanding this stuff, David. And they had this way of saying, um, I'm trying to think of what the, what the framework was, but it was like, Oh, it was customer maturity. So essentially you would rate your, uh, the customer's IT savviness. So call it like one through five. And mm-hmm. then you would rate your own uh, managed IT providers savviness. And so if your customer was a savviness of five and you were a two, they would essentially just use you like a vendor, just beat you to hell versus if you were a five and then your customer was a two, the customer wouldn't understand why they were engaging with you. So you had to like have this like, you know, you know, hover between two and four ish with your customer and the matching of it. But it's just mm-hmm. interesting lens to say, okay, why is this a good relationship and partnership? And then is it profitable? Yeah, I think that's a really good example and still a caution because you can come up with codes and numbers and rate this and color code this and say this. <laughs> but if you can't validate the data to the customer profit curve, it doesn't, it's not gonna, it's 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 not necessarily gonna help you. It makes sense. If they line up that way or pretty much, then it's beautiful. But again, we talked about how 20% of customers that we think are profitable are unprofitable. So, so that bias that we all have, For sure. that companies have, um, you know, I, I've seen it. And so, you know, people do ad hoc analyses and you do a spreadsheet <laughs> and what happens to the outcome? They're always in favor of the person who created the spreadsheet. <laughs> oh yeah, that makes sense. Right. So, so, you know, Hey, hey we've all seen it. And, and now we just got to have a common definition of success. Okay. That's what this is about. Uh, EBITDA percentage is, is that number, uh, but, but being common, we can validate the numbers to the P&L. You know, we're, we're all comfortable with that. There's scrubbing up of data to do that. But in the end, when we know that, okay, all these profit numbers on the customer profit curve for 80% of our business, that's what we want to track. 20% is in the other category, but when you add them all up, it equals the P&L. It's not like this big gap. So it's just that validation thing is really important, but they're right on uh, the, the right message to look at why are these customers uh, take advantage of this? Why are they beat us up on price? Uh, why are they more demanding, et cetera? Um, so so here's I, know, a story. I was going to say, perfect. We got the scrap story in the back, uh, back charge story. Why don't you keep, keep going? Yeah. So the scrap story is might be the most intriguing example because it's in an industry that isn't common, scrap metal. So that's when this was developed and this was the first big application. So in, in, in that business, you, 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 you buy scrap from companies that make metal fabrication and then you sell it to steel mills and that's, and that's your business and there's processing, et cetera. So, we think of it of the customer profit curves. It's intentional. You use, uh, we talked about that before. This one customer was the largest in the region. Okay, so because scrap is heavy, scrap metal is heavy. There's a limiting issue with freight, it, and 
so they were too far out, but they were gigantic in size, right? And and everybody who had this customer lost money on them. So we ran it through the uh, uh, earlier phase uh, stage of the customer profit curve, and they were just like you would imagine the the one the biggest volume, but with the biggest loss because of all these factors. But now we had a framework to evaluate. Can we get this customer to break even? How long would it take? What do we need to do now that we know what's driving the cost? Can we do these things, right? And so it was an 18-month target. We uh, built a small facility next to this gigantic plant. Instead of selling it to, it had a metallurgy, a chemistry. So for those of your uh, listeners who are in you know, plastics businesses, the chemistry, quality, it's really a tough thing. So we had to go to a different end customer foundries. We built a new facility in central Minnesota to just for that customer who would sell just to this foundry. So it was very strategic on what we're going to do, what we need to do. So it turns out they became, you know, marginally profitable, probably in the middle of the curve, but the number one customer by far. Mm-hmm. So it drove a successful exit to a consolidator later. And that was the biggest reason. And, you know, we had an intentional way. So for all of our listeners, if you want to buy business, okay, you you go through this process and you say, okay, where do we think it'll be at the front end for EBITDA percentage, uh, loss or, or gain? And then what can we do to manage that differently. And so it gives everyone a framework to say, nope, it's not going to work. Then you don't take the business. You don't <laughs> buy the business unless you, you have a, someone owns it. The salespeople and the office people say, yep, we're going to work together to make these changes to get them from here to here. So it, it worked beautifully in a really hard to deal with situation. But I think for your listeners, they, they're already thinking about, oh, yeah. You know, we're buying this business because we know it's unprofitable. We don't know how much it is unprofitable. So now we want to calibrate that. And then what's our strategy to move them up the curve? Which costs we have to reduce to be able to do that? I love it. It's like it's like rebalancing your portfolio constantly. And if you're gonna if you're the current owner, I mean, there was a gentleman that I was talking to. I mean, if you're not gonna sell your business every year, then you just make sure that you buy your business. What would you want to do if you were to continue to, it, I mean, because essentially if you're not selling it at the first of every year, you're buying it, right? You're continuing to yep. hold it. No. If you have a lot of customers and they're all about the same, it's different. But I think for all of, all of your listeners, for most of them, it's an 80-20. So we only need to focus on the few larger ones. Think about that. It, it, it's more manageable when you think of, you know, we're only tracking into 20 buckets or 50 buckets or 10 buckets, but it, it just, it helps for the, the, the listeners, their teams to get the same mindset. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not all customers are created the same, right? All that kind of this, the, the, the messages that I put out, the portfolio customers, and just think of it that way. Think of it from your personal portfolio investment. That's another mm-hmm. good uh, you know, example. And just be more aware that all costs aren't created the same. You know, uh, Averages are misleading. It's the same thing. If you invest in all the same sort of investments and the return is within you know, 10 basis points of each other, you know, then it doesn't 
really matter so much. But when you're trying to balance that out and have a big spread, then absolutely uh, it does. So, um, so my, just about my last story, uh, back charge, if you have customers or um, listeners in construction related businesses, they would know this, but it applies to any business where your customers make deductions for not performance, for something's late for quality. So in construction, you know, there's a punch list and you got to meet that list and I can pay you. Great. So this company, whenever they had a bad delivery implementation order, they, when, when we studied the numbers by customer, the bad ones were all like a 20% loss, which is back to the customer profit curve, just like so much bigger than you realize, right? So you start thinking, what's causing that? What who, who, what's common with them? You know, certain dealers were great, certain dealers were terrible. Certain projects were different, certain were this. So then, we started to develop. Okay, on average, the hourly rate to fix this problem at a job site is X amount for this range for this part of the country. Um, and if they're doing this sort of work, it's this. And so we built up a little simple database. So when we talked to customers, they would start with this 20% loss number. And we said, well, no, here's what we're doing. And it turns out we need to be 10% loss or break even or something much different, save them 70 basis points. So again, another big number just by, you know, understanding Getting some data so you can have a conversation with customers so they're not just like the ones you mentioned for the IT where they just hammer you over the head because yeah. you don't have any data, right? You say, no, here's what customers like you did, and, and, and here's, a, here, here's the approach they had. So, you know, in kind of, in, I got one more story which I think your listeners will love, and just some summary points. The best performing big companies do this. Okay. Companies who are small to midsize, maybe 1% do it. And so it's it's a huge opportunity in terms of competitive advantage to, mm-hmm. to your listeners because of that. Uh, imagine you have this and now you're making these decisions where, where your competitors are, are bidding up the price on this uh, too difficult customer that's always losing money. And you go, no, no thanks, right? So... The the biggest Fortune 500 companies do it. The biggest consulting companies do it. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm reminded by a company that performs the process improvement part of jobs really well. Their slogan is, uh, "Success doesn't happen by accident." We have a proven system for grabbing back, you know, 200 basis points, and and we can do it from all different angles, uh, and and so that's what. That's what we. That's what our listeners uh, take that approach. And so issues like you know driving profitable growth, increasing margins, operating efficiencies, reducing complexity, all those key things that typically complexity is driving those issues. Mm-hmm. If you had an easy business, you wouldn't grapple so much with certain things. Mm-hmm. And the parts of our listeners' business that are easy, you know. There's not going to have the variation a lot, but the ones that they know that they already know the ones that call them late at night and doing this and doing this. And we all treat them the same because we think customers are, are the same. So your listeners are probably already, you know, on on their own customer profit curve, penciling in (laughs) who their customers are 
not like the first one I mentioned, just kind of doing it on the fly, but now really thinking about, oh yeah, you know, and, 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 and calibrating that a bit. So we want to focus on the things that are important, the largest customers, the biggest cost categories, where the variations are largest, okay? We really want to focus on those. We don't need to worry as much about the 20% uh, because it just doesn't drive the same sort of EBITDA. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe once we get the top 80% solid, then maybe yeah, if you really love it to do it there. Yeah. But the dollars are up in the 80%. You know, think of it now when you visit customers, when listeners visit customers, and they go in there and it's anecdotal and they'll bring in some numbers and they'll go through that, that conversation, right? And And some do it better than others. So now... Imagine we track metrics that matter to customers, individual customers. Okay, so so I work with a company that their top twenty. It wasn't like the top five customer metrics. It was the top three for each customer was different because these were important to them differently, right? Mm-hmm. So you go mm-hmm. in there, and now we're sharing data on how well we did something that's really important to them. And now here's the metrics. So imagine the credibility we have when we're really focused on what matters, why they do business from us, uh, you you know, what's most important to them and start improving those metrics that may be a little bit different than our standard ones that we track. When your ability to raise prices or do different things with them, if you've got that, is just way easier. Yeah, Yeah, it's for, for, for all the above. It's just about creating value. So... You know, I know I know companies that are in big. Um, they do big projects for customers, and when they do have improvements, they pass on almost all the savings to the customer. Okay, mm-hmm. that's the approach. Great, they make their normal profit, but they pass it on. The point is that customer knows exactly what what they were saved, and so it's it's that making it more tangible mm-hmm. that ties in with this, right? That ties in. Uh, the best performing, the most profitable customers are typically going to have the best metrics, the best delivery, the best this, because we've figured out how to do that, the lowest cost uh, allowances. So, you know, tribal knowledge, I mentioned that before, it, you know, it works. We have a lot of listeners who have long-time businesses and, they're, and they've been in the industry for a long time and their customers or their salespeople have been in the industry, and that's great. But that works in familiar circumstances, when you have something that's different, as we talked about, the 20% that they're dead wrong on, okay? So if it's a, something really similar and it works that way, great. Uh, but but in businesses where you have a lot of complexity, it, it doesn't work so well. So it's really important to, to, to have this framework, tie it and validate it to your P&L. So my last story, which I just stumbled over, um, and it's really interesting to me. There's a there's going to be a graphic, and it has a uh, a fighter plane from World War II, and so it shows the bullet hole patterns on the plane when they return back to you know the the base thing, right? And so it shows a lot of 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 holes uh, on the wings and on the tail and and on the body and whatever. Okay, so what the U.S. did, first of all, is that they, re, they more reinforced 
the places where they had bullet holes. Well, you can only put so much armor on it, and you, you lose maneuverability, you, you lose fuel, so you have to be you have to be careful with that. So they did that, and they thought that's great. And but the number of planes that were shot down didn't go down, and so they brought in this data analytics guru. His name is Wald. This is a true story. And so they looked at this, and what what his observation is very much what we're talking about now. It's not always what you see; it's what's missing. You know, you don't know these unprofitable customers. You don't know the warranty claims was twenty percent of these. You don't know these things. And so, with that data, they reinforced the engines and the places on that picture that didn't have bullet holes, because the one the planes that were being shot down. That's why they're being shot down, as it turns out. And so just by looking at something differently and looking at data that's missing, not just what you have in front of you, uh, and and think of it that way, back to the strategic view, I thought that was a good way. Well, yeah, because like the ones that the ones that got hit there, they they're down. Right? They never got the That's chance right. to. And they to didn't reinforce even think it. of it. They, <laughs> yeah. they they didn't even think of it. So it's 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 you know it's an interesting parallel, but just in terms of having, so it's not a mystery, right? Why certain things happen, and so once you have these in place, now it's like other metrics your your listeners are using that they can count on. If, like delivery percentage, like hours per something, like certain things that they know that, you know, we should be between 1.5 and 1.6. Great. It's the same idea, but now applied to customers and, you know, giving them the the opportunity to, to, to uh, cut their own anchor and, and grab back, you know, two percentage points of revenue. So uh, uh, this has been a lot of fun and super meaty for the people that want to go back. And I'm sure people are going to be diving into their their customer data now. The two two final questions for you. One is, um, if you were to be if you were to jump in and become the CFO of some company, or if you're a PE firm and you're going to look into buy a company, like where would you start to 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 pull this thread? To to put this data together, you mean? Yeah, or like if you prepare like, for you, a sale. Yeah, you're walking into a company to to become the CFO, or you're going to be the acquirer of a company. Where do you start? Yeah, so it 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 starts a lot with with brainstorming as to what we talked about: why customers do business with us, what's important to them. So it focuses on okay, you know, warranty claims is something we have to really get our right. arms around. We can't assume that's the case because we know how important it is because of these reasons, right? And so that was a secret to that one project. And like many of them, that you, like the SKU one, you had no idea that opportunity until you have that sort of due diligence uh, mm-hmm. time. What's, what's, and, taking, and so, yeah, what's taking the time? Yep. So then you kind of scope out, okay, these are the categories. Imagine on the customer profit curve, you have a summary P&L for each customer. Not like your company P&L. It, it's a summary one of, you know, half a dozen categories, mm-hmm. the ones that we talked about, each of the ones that we talked about would be like a category, right? And th- that would be important to to uh, our customers. And so then we go, okay, yeah, we want to track warranty claims, we want to track custom costs, we want to track this. And then you can rely on the company already has customer data, mm-hmm. you know, sales, uh, pro- uh, gross profit. So y- you leverage that, right? And then you may need to re- configure it, but then you you let what's important guide you, then you say, well, okay, how am I going to measure warranty claims? 
do we track that? No, this company did not. So, okay, how are we going to figure that out? Mm-hmm. And you come up with come up with a way that that we can use again leveraging uh, an, an ERP system certainly, but again because we're only going to do it for 10, 20 customers, it gives us mm-hmm. an option to to not necessarily have to have all this other data, but mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. You, can, you won't be able to validate it that way, but but still. An option, but once you figure out what that framework looks like, okay, then then you just have well, how are we going to collect the data? How are we going to collect the time? Mm-hmm. Remember that custom cost? Mm-hmm. How are we going to track that time? Who's going to do it? Which people? And you build up that, right? And then and then you know you run the numbers, and, and it's uh, you know you're you're starting from you know scratch for our listeners' perspective because we've never looked at it that that way before. Certain numbers we take right off our system, great, but we're going to change overhead if they're a manufacturer. We're going to, you know, take our total SGA costs, pull out these items that are most important, but the balance, we're just going to assign that based upon mm-hmm. revenue, based upon sales order, based upon some criteria that we think is, you know, kind of reflects how that cost is being demanded. And so you work through that in, in that sort of way. The problem with the big companies and the big software packages is it's really too it's really complex, okay. And so we're trying to focus on the few customers and the few categories Actionable. and the few things to do. It still takes time, uh, certainly, and you have to decide how often do you want to update it monthly, quarterly, annually. But 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 certainly the first time through, you know, it, t- it takes a lot of of work. But again, it's it's manageable because there's limited customers, limited categories, um, and well worth the and effort. just that two people, one the SKU company, they had their own version of this before. Okay, uh, an accountant put it together, pretty broad. Number one, and then the one who was the example of the um, configurator packaging cost. That was a larger company, and they had a, a consultant that I knew. She's brilliant, an, an access expert. Okay, so they did it themselves. And then I came in, and the percentages that I mentioned in the beginning, the 20%, were still the same because their approach didn't reflect how customers are really demanding these costs. They had a way to slice and dice it, but mm-hmm. it wasn't the way that happened. So it's really, that's where your owners can really uh, leverage that to say what's reasonable, what's not, to be able to do that. So. So this has been so much fun. Two final notes is one is what is, what does the word intentional mean to you? Purposeful. You do it, you know, for a reason. You do it intentionally. I love it. Sorry um, for what, using the same, the same you know, I think you, you definitely got the point. I liked it. Uh, what's the best place to find you and get in touch um, if the listeners are interested? Well, uh, email or phone or LinkedIn would be a good place to sh- should I give you information to post yeah, it later? Absolutely. Yeah, we'll do. Yeah, they can do. Uh, reach me one of those one of those ways. Be happy to uh, uh, chat with them. David, thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been a blast. I hope you enjoyed that interview with David. Man, did I have so many takeaways when I was listening to him. The data is key. This theory of analyzing your customer profitability is no new theory. However, if you have your financials and the data set up correctly between your systems and your financials, 
getting to the root of your customer profitability curve, where the profitable customers are, how to focus on them becomes more possible than you've ever imagined. I highly recommend that you figure out a way to get this information readily accessible so you can start making decisions for new customers, current customers, and how to view your operations and your business as a diversified portfolio of customers that have different levels of risk that all roll into your EBITDA that has a combined level of risk. And there is a value that is placed on the overall risk of your cash flow. And by understanding your customers that make up that cash flow is one of the best places to start. If you don't have your financial set up the way that you want to, go check out the Intentional Growth Training. Go to arcona.io. we got a bunch of new videos and new messaging out there that should make it really clear on what you're going to learn inside of the training and how you're going to walk away with more clarity on how to grow a more valuable business and take that vision that you've got for the business and actually make it a reality because you're starting to make progress and the right kind of progress. Thanks for tuning in, and I will see you next week.